Hey there, are you a happiness seeker? Have you survived trauma and pain? And are you ready to heal and transform? Then stay tuned. You are listening to the Open to Happiness podcast, and I am your host, Nicoleta. Over the past weeks, you have immersed yourself in your self-discovery and explored the circumstances of your given life. By now, you have understood that you're made of four parts, body, mind, soul, and social persona, and how these four parts of you interact with each other and with the outer environment. You also explored where you're coming from, looking at the universe, the earth, the nature, and how religion and science have influenced your life and shaped you into the person that you are today. You also opened your eyes to the manipulation and the truth in your life script, and you found that the suffering and healing come from the same source. Now we will start the teaching from the perspective of society and culture, and we will then bring the focus back on the individual and your experience of life. We will explore how the fiction created by myths and folklore stories have influenced your culture and how your ancestors' fantasies, fears, and imagination showed up in your upbringing and your experience in the family environment. This week, you will unpack your past history from birth to date, and you will learn how your culture has impacted your family dynamic. We will explore the transgenerational trauma, and we will review the development of attachment, intimacy, and boundaries. We will then get clear on your current relational style so you can learn why you struggle in relationships, to unstuck yourself from relational conflicts and develop relational attunement. So we know by now that if I say I'm an astronaut, that doesn't mean I'm flying in the space. And if I say I'm healing, that doesn't mean I'm actually experiencing healing. Healing is a process that requires self-discovery. So let's go back to your life script and revisit what was given to you as inheritance through these stories and legends that have been passed on to you from one generation to the other. Many of these stories have survived in the form of myths and folklore stories. Some of them recorded in writing on books or digital content and others transmitted verbally from one generation to the other. Myths and uh, folklore stories are great. They can carry a seed of wisdom and they trigger our curiosity and wonder. But often they plant in us false beliefs and ideas that can damage rather than enhance our lives. Let's look into some examples. We all heard of the legends of King Arthur or Robin Hood, which we are told are grounded in history. What we take with us is the message that these stories actually preach. And that is often the difference between good and evil and how goodness always triumphs. Only that, what was possible a thousand years ago in the times of Robin Hood, for example, might not be considered an option or perceived as acceptable behavior in today's world. There is a small number of people that will share their excess with, with those in need. Whereas many, many of us would not accept the idea that wealth can be redistributed to the poorest by illegal means. And that is now supported by the laws of the modern day. 
How is this relevant to you, you might ask? Well, think of this from the perspective of equality, which is such a current issue in our, in our changing world. And it's so vital to our relationships. You suffer when you feel discriminated. You suffer when you see disadvantaged people, don't you? You might also feel guilt inside for your perceived privileges. And this pain is jeopardizing your joy and happiness in life. Now, think of the fairy tales you were introduced to when you were very little. You remember that the princess was always saved by an amazing prince who was also beautiful and strong and treated her so well, and they eventually ended up living happily ever after. It is great to believe that these qualities can exist in a man and to wish to find a partner that is strong and beautiful and successful and homely and free of vices and smart and intelligent and also warm and spiritual. However, if you can't understand human nature, if you can't accept the flaws in the human nature, then you might be wasting the precious time of your life waiting for that perfect someone to come along and he might never come. We are moving away from, from these folk tales as a modern civilization, and there are only a few real princes left in the world. And we hear from media that they are nothing like those characters we've been brainwashed to believe in. They are simple people like me and you, looking to enjoy life, searching for freedom and liberation, and fighting with a, with a world and an ancestry that is rigid, exclusivist and discriminatory. So remaining stuck in the program mind and, and the stories we've been told is not helpful. It's not helpful at all. And here's the significance to you. What makes it really destructive is that while searching for that prince or the one that ticks all the boxes, you are at risk of losing good men that perhaps love you and cherish you in your intimate relationships. And now, to be gender inclusive, I have described this from my perspective as a woman. But of course, this is relevant to all gender identities. These stories that I'm talking about get slightly altered in time, but their essence remains the same. Your ancestors have fantasized and they use their imagination to make sense of their lives. In psychology, we know that in the absence of a clear explanation for what happened around them, humans attributed their experience to external events. For example, an important element in the folklore stories are superstitions. I was brought up by my grandparents at the countryside, and I still remember my grandmother's superstitions. She believed that a black cat crossing your way brings bad luck. And even today, over 50 years later, although I'm aware of it and I smile when I think of it, I still change my direction when I see a black cat approaching me. This is how powerful our cultural conditioning is. And I would briefly love to add the parables that come through religious or spiritual practices and teachings like the poison arrow in Buddhism or the farmer and the horse in Taoism, which is one of my favorite. They teach you to abstain from reacting and to surrender to what is. These myths, legends, parables, and superstitions that we follow are ingrained in our traditions. And while some of them carry knowledge from ancient times and perhaps teach us something valuable, overall, they remain just fables. 
It is true that myths and legends are important in understanding an individual society and the human culture as a whole, but we need to remain alert at the negative impact they can have on our lives. Listen to this. When a mother follows the myth that children cry for attention and ignores that cry, she might have just neglected her child. When a parent believes that the children need to listen to them, should listen to them, and do exactly as they're told, that parent might have just forced their child's essence and sense of self, which stands for emotional abuse. Cultures and societal structures can be confusing and inflexible. Cultures promote a specific worldview and a set of values to guide people live their lives. And your culture taught your ancestors how to parent you and how to raise you. Society is made of those people sharing that worldview and those values within that culture. And you've been brought up in your society defined by your culture. Cultures look at people through the lenses of similarity, but the society promotes individual differences. This is a confusion that often affects our mental health. Cultures are defined by diversity, but they struggle to assimilate hybrid subcultures. And this is why we see so much inequality and suffering in the world. Whatever your culture, you were born within that culture and you were brought up based on the norms and traditions of your culture. And it makes a hell of a difference if that culture, subculture, society and family provided you with a secure base and a forum for secure attachment where it's been a fertile environment for adverse childhood experiences during your developmental years. Adverse childhood experiences or ACEs are a common form of transgenerational trauma. And to a large extent, I would say that ACEs are part of our collective trauma too. ACEs come in the form of physical, verbal, emotional and sexual abuse, unintentional neglect, death of a parent or a main caregiver, physically or emotionally unavailable parents, witness domestic abuse, addicted parents, separation or divorce, poverty, inequality, discrimination, and different other adverse childhood experiences that can make you feel like you're not being seen and considered, like you're not significant and you don't exist. All these become covert traumatic experiences that will stay in the way of your happiness and fulfillment in life. If you are in this program today, you've probably been exposed to one or multiple ACEs and you are now working towards your healing. ACEs affect your sense of confidence, esteem and self-worth and can instill a feeling of instability, of uncertainty and anger. ACEs are very strongly correlated with your attachment style to how you deal with proximity and intimacy in relationships, and they reflect in your sense of boundaries and your relational style as well. Let's take a minute and talk about your attachment. According to John Bowlby, who formulated the initial theory of attachment, humans need to develop a secure attachment with at least one person when they grow up. In the case of the most desirable attachment style, which is the secure attachment, the attachment figure provides a safe base to help the child to explore life and relationships and then return to safety when needed. 
The way the parents and caregivers respond to the child becomes a pattern, a pattern of attachment, which will guide the child in their close relationships in adulthood. When parents are approving and are physically, intellectually, and emotionally available for their children, that helps the children to attach securely in that relationship with their caregiver. This is reducing their fears and anxiety, and it helps the children to feel accepted, to feel loved and cared for. It helps them build self-esteem and a strong sense of self-worth and value. And within that positive relational environment, the children learn to manage their own emotional regulation and they develop resilience and endurance in the face of challenges and hardship later in life. Now, because of the culture and what they've learned in their own life, sometimes parents or caregivers do not meet the children's needs. They are not responding with a caring and nurturing behavior and the children become insecure and develop negative mental models that will shape how they cope with marriage, with friendships, with work relationships, and of course, with parenting themselves in life. You see, if someone felt threatened as a child, but they could not seek proximity to the attachment figure because of loss, because of separation, divorce, or domestic abuse, they become anxious, ambivalent, or resistant, we call them in psychology. And this is why they struggle to build and maintain intimate relationships as adults. Other children develop an avoidant attachment style, either anxious or dismissive. And this happens as a result of a consistent lack of response to their needs in their early years of life. These people sometimes tolerate proximity of others, but they remain non-attached. But very often, they are completely isolated from others and are unable to bear any human proximity at all. The people with avoidant attachment are usually acting through engagement, disengagement in their relationships in life. And the last category is the disorganized attachment or the disoriented attachment, which seems to develop in children whose mothers have been through some major loss or unresolved trauma shortly before or after birth and have become depressed immediately afterwards. For some people, it is mind-blowing when they discover that their attachment patterns depend on their mother's sensitivity, who is, in most cases, their main caregiver. We now know from science that the secure, avoidant, and ambivalent attachments are the three basic attachment patterns in people in different parts of the world, despite the fact that our myths and our folk stories are culturally conditioned. In reality, there is much more similarity than difference in the world, in humans. But still, we have no universal parenting manual and no requirement for parents to develop any particular skill or abilities before they bear children. So parenting remains pretty much unconscious to this day. Apparently, the final year Generation X and the millennials are the first ones to embrace conscious parenting. And this explains why so many people struggle with attachment issues in the world. We need to clarify that a permissive upbringing creates a greater level of intimacy indeed, but that does not necessarily imply safe boundaries. The attachment style is not a predictor of boundaries management. Families with secure attachment can fail at setting healthy boundaries, and the avoidant and ambivalent families can instill stronger and safe boundaries. 
but there are of course many variations in between. What matters for you is to grasp understanding of your own personal history and attachment development, but how do you make sense of that? Let's have a look at the best and worst examples. The worst case scenario we can contemplate is a home defined by instability, unpredictability, with unavailable and dismissive parents that have no boundaries whatsoever. At the other end of the continuum of human experience, we have the best situation, which could be a stable home defined by clear rules and expectations and offering consistent love, care and acceptance and safe boundaries. If you ask me, I've come to learn that most families fall somewhere in between. Now that you've done your pre-teaching self-reflection and you explored your past history, you worked on your river of life, on the most significant events of your life, also on understanding your family dynamic and the transgenerational trauma, the next step after you watch this video will be to explore your attachment style and offload the luggage of pain you carried with you until now. I'd like to invite you to go to sleep tonight and whilst you are asleep, to allow for a miracle to take place. To let go of the pain that was caused to you by other people's actions, to let the responsibility for their actions with them, and to keep in your luggage only those related to you and your own actions in relationships to explore them later in the program. Because it is true that myths and the old stories have influenced your ancestors' internal world, and this is reflected in the culture we see around you today. It is true that this inheritance and this life script has played and still plays an important role in your lived personal history within your family and your cal cultural environment, but they do not have to define your current relational style. I could go as far as saying that most, if not all your life suffering has started within a relationship and that your attachment style played a significant role in that. We will explore this in more detail next week when we will review the four relationship circles. But for now, let's draw a line and make note of some learnings. Firstly, relationships and attachment are shaped by the local culture. Secondly, the current culture is the result of fiction stories, myths, legends and folk tales, and they define how humanity looks at similarity, difference, diversity, hybridity, which are all such controversial topics in our modern society and brings a lot of pain to many of us. Everything you see manifesting around you or inside of you these days has been programmed decades, centuries, and even millennia in the past. You can let these external influences drive your life or you can take back control and move your life into the direction of your dreams. You have the choice. And this is why awareness is so essential in your life. You need to bring back attention to the present moment and avoid to react to life from the memory of your program mind. You see, when you are present, the myths and folk stories lose their power. They remain information and data you have captured in your mind, but they are not the absolute reality for you anymore. From a mindful stance, when you take time to reflect on things and you respond from a place of choice, the cultural and societal issues fade in importance and your self-care takes priority. When you are present, you become aware of your attachment tendencies and you act in more adaptive ways in your relationships. Awareness can help you understand the true nature of your reality. Awareness can help you understand why you suffer 
and how to heal your heart. And lastly, awareness can help you refine your relational style. The first four weeks of this program have been designed to help you reach a deeper understanding of your life circumstances and what was, what happened, and what cannot be changed. Understanding is step one in the seven steps of real transformation framework, which is at the core of our program. And understanding will remain the main pillar in your journey within. You are now gradually getting ready to accept what was and to accept what is and cannot be changed. And you are also getting ready to act on changing what you can actually control. And what you can control is your perspective on things and how your choice transpires in your actions. Part two of this program was designed to help you move back and forth through steps two, three, four, five, and six to let the acceptance lead to surrender, to let the surrender reveal some learnings, to let these learnings open the door to forgiveness, and to let forgiveness fill your heart with healing. You have listened to the Open to Happiness podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, show us your love, share, subscribe, or give us a review. Thank you.